You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Elaine Alvarez is backstage at Lyric. Micaela is perfect for me right now. It's perfect for my age. It's perfect for the size of my voice. It's French, so the texture in the orchestra never sort of overwhelms you. And I actually don't have that much to sing. I really, I only appear in acts one and three. I do have the big aria that is quite the Shana, but it's great. Micaela is just, it's a dream to sing. It's really, really beautiful music, and she's such a sympathetic character. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. Elaine Alvarez is returning to Lyric Opera this season as Micaela in Bizet's Carmen. It was at Lyric that she triumphed during the 2007-2008 season in her 11th hour company debut as Mimi in Puccini's La Boheme. Since then, she's gone on to successes in major European houses, including those of Frankfurt, Munich, and Genoa, and she's toured to Athens to sing Rossini's Stabat Mater with Riccardo Muti conducting. I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Elaine about her role in Carmen, her lyric debut, and other highlights of her career. Before we get to that conversation, here's the story of Carmen. In Seville, an army corporal, Don José, is ordered to escort the gypsy Carmen to prison after she attacks another girl. José, however, falls instantly in love with Carmen, lets her escape, and is himself sent to prison. Following his release, he visits Carmen at a tavern where she's just met the bullfighter Escamillo. After dueling with a superior officer, Don José is forced to desert the army. He joins Carmen and her smuggler friends in the mountains, where she quickly tires of him. Once Don José's hometown sweetheart, Micaela, arrives to bring him home to his dying mother, Carmen is free to accept the attentions of Escamillo. Don José later comes to the bullring in Seville, where Escamillo is appearing in a bullfight. Outside the arena, Carmen is confronted by Don José, who pleads with her and finally, overcome by jealousy, stabs her just as the crowd inside proclaims Escamillo's victory. Now, on to the interview with Lyric's Micaela, soprano Elaine Alvarez. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Elaine Alvarez, who is back at Lyric Opera of Chicago to sing Micaela in Carmen, which was a role that you sang uh, last spring in your hometown, Miami, at Florida Grand Opera. I know that was a wonderful experience for you. <laughs> it was indeed. <laughs> With uh, with so many people who went back quite a ways in your life with you. I had, you know, I had people from elementary school. I had my first voice teacher, my first music teacher. Something like 200 friends and family were in the audience. And, you know, at the end of the show, my uncle was asking me why it wasn't called Micaela instead of Carmen. This role, I think, is very much a milestone in the career of any singer with your kind of voice, which I would classify as a full lyric soprano. Um, what does she mean to you in terms of your own vocal development? You know, I think when you're a lyric soprano, 
especially my sort of I'm, – I'm like a Puccini soprano. That's what they sort of categorize me as. You know, you sort of have to be careful. I just turned 30, so, you know, my repertoire is starting to move a little bit heavier than, than it has been. Um, I just did a couple of rondines, um, and I'm looking to do a liu next in turn dot. Um, so, you know, you sort of have to be careful that you don't start singing repertoire that's too heavy too soon because then you can end up blowing out your voice. Um, so Micaela is perfect for me right now. It's perfect for my age. It's perfect for the size of my voice. Um, it's French, so the texture in the orchestra never sort of overwhelms you. Um, and I actually don't have that much to sing. I really, I only appear in acts one and three. I do have the big aria that is quite the Shana, but it's great. Micaela is just it's a dream to sing. It's really, really beautiful music, and she's such a sympathetic character. So, you know, and of course it's iconic because some of the most famous sopranos in the history of recorded vocal music have print this <laughs> this aria. <laughs> you make your entrance in a brief scene with the soldiers, mm-hmm. but then you have your big duet with Don Jose in Act 1. You have your aria, as you mentioned, in Act 3, and then you come on at the end of Act 3. So you have some time when you're <laughs> off the stage. I do. What do you do when you're off <laughs> you the stage? You go out for a cocktail. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, you know, it varies. You can – some people – stay in character the whole time. They keep to themselves. They really want to keep the story going in their heads. Some people completely disconnect. I've gotten all kinds of advice. Um, For me, I sort of, you know, I I turn on the monitor in my room. I listen, you know, to the show while it's going on. I just try to stay focused but not sort of obsessing because then by the time you sing, it, it can get a little... Too specific. Now, in your two big scenes, what are the most important emotions that you've got to communicate to your audience? Well, I think in in the first act, I'm very naive, but I'm very I'm a very sort of happy character. You know, I'm coming into this city kind of expecting the same level of safety that I feel in my little town, but because there's so many people and so many soldiers and they're starting to sort of crowd in on me, I start to become aware of the fact that this, you know, this is a potentially dangerous situation. Uh, When I come back to see him in the duet, it's really just a sort of rush of joy. You know, I know what's in the letter. I know what his mother is hoping that he's going to do. I really want to start this future that I've imagined in my head for myself. Um, but I'm nervous, you know, I'm, I'm nervous that he's not going to not going to feel the same way that, you know, he maybe met someone, which, you know, not yet. But <laughs> then in Act Three, when she's come on, coming on stage looking for him, what are her feelings there? It's a very complicated situation because there is a lot of fear, but there is a lot of courage. It's a very fearful situation that she's in because she's heading towards the criminals as opposed to away from them. You know, she's been traveling with a guide anywhere from one day to two weeks, you know, depending on on the director's idea. She could be traveling for a very long time by herself with a criminal himself and putting herself in a position where she could be attacked or she could be raped or anything could happen to her. But she's doing it because she really believes she has to save this man. Um, so there is that balance that, you know, she's she's very young, but she has sort of a, a spine in there of steel uh, to face a situation. But there's a lot of fear there. I mean, it's it's a real it's a real dangerous situation for her. How do you I mean, so much of your repertoire, I think, with your kind of voice, you're playing the good girl most of the yes. time. <laughs> so how do you make this particular sort of the essential good girl? Mikaela, <laughs> how do you make her three dimensional? 
to well, your audience? Well, you know, I am sort of making a career <laughs> playing good girls, but I like it. You know, I think the best portrayals that you can give in your career are characters where the seeds of them are in you. You know, you're sort of amplifying aspects of the personality that, that you already have. And I think that helps an audience feel like they're they're really meeting you on stage. You know, yeah, it's me as Mimi or it's me as Mikaela or me as Magda or whatever, but it's still me. For me, they're all three-dimensional. They all have stories. I don't think Mikaela is like a caricature of a good girl. I think, you know, she's from a small town and her education level may or may not be high. That's that always depends on the director's idea. But she's someone that has a lot of integrity. That has that she's young, so maybe she hasn't seen that much of the world. Um, maybe she doesn't have a lot of darkness in her because she simply hasn't experienced that. But she's still mature in her own right. It's just a joy, you know. Joy doesn't necessarily have to mean immature. So for me, that's really her. the 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 benchmarks of her personality are that she has inner strength. That is is something that she was probably born with, a strong character, but someone that is very loving and very joyful. Are the vocal requirements the same when you go from Act 1 to Act 3? No, they're a bit different. Um, you know, in Act 1, the orchestration is not very thick. There's a color to Act 1 that is very brilliant and very sort of floaty. And you'll hear it. It goes out into the house in this very ethereal sort of way. It's like the glow of love. And in the third act, it's all very mysterious. The, the orchestration is a lot more thick. The harmony is, is murky. Um, and a lot of my lines are in the lower middle part of my voice until they start to get up, you know, into, into the higher part in a lot more dramatic way. And I have a lot more sort of leaping lines. You sing in these performances with the Nonge Jose of Yang Hoon Lee mm-hmm. from Korea. And like you, he has moved up the professional ladder internationally pretty quickly. So what do you think actually the greatest joys of an international career are? And on the other hand, what are the potential pitfalls? You know, I've actually sung with Jan Hoon already. I sang his first bohem with him in Italy. Um, I think it was in the 8-9 season. And it was a crazy production. It was <laughs> Things happen in Italy that never happen anywhere else in the world. And it's sort of an example of just the crazy life on the road. It's a wonderful thing. Having an international career is a wonderful thing because there are so many companies everywhere. I've spent a lot of my career so far working in Germany. In Germany, there are actually more opera houses in Germany than the entire world combined. So every little town has an opera company. And... You know, they really love the theater. They love they, – they go to the opera like it's going to the movies. And as a young singer, it's a wonderful thing to have places to welcome you to learn your craft. You know, I, I did my first bohème in Germany. I did my first traviata. I've done something like 25 traviatas in Germany. Um, I've done like 20 rondines. You know, th- that sort of experience you don't get as much in the States because there aren't as many companies here. And the companies that there are – are really, it's the top tier companies and then it's the little companies. So there's there's a bit of a disparity there. Um, and, you know, also I get to see the world as part of my job. You know, I, I cart around my little dog and we go everywhere. We're going to Japan this year. So it's exciting. And my family comes and visits me. And, you know, it's definitely, it, it can have its pitfalls, as you say. We're away a lot. I had one season where I was away from home for 10 months straight. And that's 10 months of suitcases and all of my stuff and my dog. Uh, And it can get a little stressful and you can miss things, people getting married and having babies. And that can be rough. But 
it's a very blessed thing to do what you love most in the world as your job and to have people really enjoy it and and seek you out for it. Now, I know in your preparation of a role, you do everything that one does and you study the, the words and you study the notes and you study you know everything that the composer is asking you for. But at the same time, I know that you're interested in what I would call the continuum of singing that is in historically important interpretation. And I think there are a lot of people out there, uh, especially of your generation, who don't set such great store in that. So can you speak to the importance of listening to what your predecessors have done? Well, I mean, I, I sort of model myself after um, what's called the old school singers, you know, Franey Scotto, who I had the pleasure of working with here and who's actually going to be here uh, rehearsing ballo while I'm here. Um, you know, these singers are the icon of my voice type. They all sort of worked around the same time of each other, you know, Callas as well, Anamofo. And these are singers that they've taken these roles, the you know, Mimis and Traviatas and Butterfly I'm listening to a lot right now, and they've created the pinnacle performance, the ideal performance. And I think it's important as a young singer to study what made these recordings exceptional, what made these singers exceptional, what was so individual about them that you can pick them out one from the other if you just heard them, you know, on a speaker somewhere in a mall or something. And understand what makes what makes someone's sound and idea transcend time, transcend, you know, where where you're coming into contact with it um, to communicate, you know, real emotion to really inspire people. Um, it's such a it's such a vibrant skill that you know it it can be very elusive. I think to the modern singer. What did bring you to singing? Was it family? Was it experiences in school? <laughs> it was my mom. <laughs> Who sings? No, my mom is a music teacher. Ah. I mean, she, I, I mean, she sings, I guess, recreationally. But um, her instrument was classical piano and classical guitar. And when she had me, she was getting her PhD at the University of Miami, and she was singing a lot in the house because she was a member of the University of Miami chorale, the concert chorale. And so she said that I was something like one and a half or two. She would sing, and she would hear me sing back whatever she was singing, uh, and in some cases imitate her vibrato. So she started to sort of figure out that I had a very good ear, you know, and she started teaching me ear training and then eventually how to read music, and then she started trying to teach me the piano, which did not go over well. And then finally she handed me over to a program in Miami. Uh, it's the South Miami Center for the Arts, which takes care of kids um, starting at age nine, in a very intensive arts program, in addition to, you know, the regular um, school program. And, you know, I had to learn instruments from every family. It was a very broad musical education. But at a certain point, I started distinguishing myself more and more as a singer. I did eventually choose a secondary instrument, which was viola. I played viola for eight years. But sometime around junior high was when I started getting into musical theater. And I think that's sort of the gateway to eventually performing opera. I mean, that, the entire time my mother, my mother started taking me to the opera at, in Florida when I was six. She took me every opera, every season uh, until I left for college. But I think it was through musical theater that it was when I started sort of associating singing with a story and acting and dancing and being on stage. Uh, and then I, I started working with a teacher in Miami when I was 14, and she said, you know, when you learn to use your whole voice, you're going to realize that, you know, musical theater is not enough. 
And that's what happened. So it was probably when I was 15 that I officially sort of decreed I'm going to be an opera singer. <laughs> you went to the New World School of the Arts and then you went to the Manhattan School of Music in New York. So mm-hmm. once you were finished with your schooling, how did you proceed in the career You know, I was really lucky. Um, I've had a lot of really exceptional teachers and mentors that have taken a very serious interest in my development as a singer and as a person. When I was at Manhattan School, I came into, you know, into working with my voice teacher, who is still my voice teacher 12 years later, uh, Joan Patton O'Darnell. And then I also started working with Warren Jones, who is a very famous uh, vocal accompanist. And Warren is on faculty at the Music Academy of the West, which is Marilyn Horn's program. And he was like, you know, you really need to come to this program. This would be a great place for you. So my first summer there was the summer of 2004. And I sang for Miss Horn there, and I was in the opera. Actually, I was in the opera with Leonardo Capabo, who is the Macduff here. Uh, So it's a little reunion there, too. And um, during that summer, Matthew Epstein... Uh, came to hear us all and took a real interest in me and asked to sort of stay in touch with me. At the time, he had not yet started at Columbia Artists. He was about to. And the following season, I did uh, an apprentice, a year of apprenticeship at the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. And during that time, I was in touch with Matthew. And the following summer, which was 2005, while at Music Academy, Matthew invited me to become part of the Cami roster because he was officially there. So that's that's when I began my my professional life as a singer. There are <laughs> a couple of highlights that we have to talk about. <laughs> the most important one, um, which introduced you to us, was your Mimi here mm-hmm. in our Boheme, directed by Renata Scotto, as you mentioned, where you jumped in unexpectedly and did all the performances. I think you told me in our phone conversation that it was like the greatest night of your it life. It is. It's the best night of my life so far. I'm going to say so far. <laughs> what made it so? You know, it was one of those moments where everything that you've always hoped to happen in a single performance comes together. The first, this was the opening night. This was the opening about. night. I mean, the whole run was just wonderful. There was no bad moment. There was no bad show. Um, But the opening night was really, you know, there was so much pressure. The story was huge. It was everywhere. Um, You know, I had a lot of family in town. There was all this press here. There were, you know, representatives from all the major opera houses. It was really a a pressure cooker situation for any normal person. (laughs) For a 27-year-old that had never sung at a major house, it was, it could have been a real disaster mentally. But it wasn't. It was ideal. It was, you know, everything I had hoped I I could be able to achieve that night, I did. And the audience was so wonderful. Like, I could actually feel people, like, hugging me from their seats and willing me to do well. And, you know, that really registers. As a singer, I really can feel if an audience is rooting for me. And my whole family was there. My, my sister said that my mother was a wreck. Like, every time she tried to stand up, she'd have to sit down because her blood pressure was just, like, <laughs> up and down and up and down. And, you know, I had, I had Renata Scotto in my dressing room five minutes before the show start tell me I'll be with you in every breath. I mean, it's like put a, you know, put a ribbon around the night and put it under the tree. It was just, it was magic. <laughs> You also had another episode where you jumped in in a major European opera house. That was the Bavarian State Opera in Mm -hmm. Munich. 
as Violetta and Traviata <laughs> with no rehearsal. Indeed. Uh, I'm trying to imagine. You know, it's that dream that singers have all the time that they get pushed out on stage and they don't know what they're doing. That was real. <laughs> With Jonas Kaufman, oh, with as Jonas your, Kaufman as your and Simon Kingsley side, indeed. <laughs> so, was that a completely different experience from what you had here? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, there was no room in my brain to be nervous that night because there were so many elements that I had to contend with. That my mind—if if someone could hear into my mind—it was just like all of these gears turning simultaneously. I mean, I remember right before I walked out on stage, the stage manager was like, oh, by the way, the floor is covered with leaves, so don't fall. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the tip. <laughs> it was it was really, it was a very nutty night. But at the same time, you know, I had a, I have a recording of it, and it was a, it was a great night of music. <laughs> you also had uh, an experience that you told me about that I just was so impressed with which was um, a performance of Rossini's Stabat Mater that you did with Ricardo Muti conducting, and it was at the Herodaticus Amphitheater mm-hmm. in Athens. What was that like? You know, that whole tour it was a whirlwind. We literally would we would do a performance, we would get on a plane, we'd fly in that night, the, uh, the next morning after a show, we'd fly to the next location, have a sound check, do a performance that night, and then the next morning again fly out. And the Athens job, the, the Athens performance was the last one on the tour, and, you know, everyone was tired and, you know, hopped up on caffeine. <laughs> and we get to the sound check and I just sort of look up and I can't believe where I am. And there's no mics, you know, in some of the other uh, performances we were in outdoor venues, they had to mic us. There were no mics. And I was just like, how is this going to work? And, and Maestro Muti turns to me and he's like, this theater is very old. They know how to do it. <laughs> and they did. It was amazing. It was it was magic. I, I found myself... During the performance, because we we sort of the soloists stay sitting outside the whole time. Whenever I wasn't singing, I just kind of found myself looking up and just like not understanding how I got here. You know how this is my life. It's pretty. It's pretty magical. Those those moments when you have enough time and room in your brain to really like be in the moment and appreciate that this is your life and this is what you get to experience. It's it's very sweet. It's a very uh, sweet moment. Well, it's like that, a postcard. On that very positive note, I want to thank <laughs> you very much for talking with me, and I wish you the best of luck with uh, all the performances. Thank that you're doing you. In <laughs> Thanks, Chicago. <laughs> You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. Thank you.